Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast where we pump Scottish heritage stories out from the depth of the well of knowledge. You're welcome to take a drink with us. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. <laughs> and this week we're continuing the theme of coasts and waters to talk about wells. Gluty wells and witches and wells. Well, well, well. Oh, this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> What do we mean when we're talking about wells? We mean holes puncturing the surface of the earth to reach natural springs and flows of water. Some wells are deep and some are shallow, but they are all essentially just holes dug for that pure Scottish water. And as they say, Annie, all's well that ends well. Well said, Jenny. I don't know if it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, wells are rich in heritage and stories. They are a source of fresh water, and so were essential to the health and hygiene of people for millennia. One of my favourite wells is the Berghead Well, which is just along the Murray coast on the northeast of Scotland. And why is it your favourite well, Annie? Well, Jenny, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it was found within an annex of a massive Pictish fort in Berghead. In the present day, the incredible Pictish fort of Berghead is kind of reduced to mounds of the outlines of where the walls were, okay. where the main parts of the settlement were. However, you could easily visit and not realise there had even been a fort there at all. So it's just big mounds of suspiciously Pictish grass. Yes, incredibly big Pictish fort mounds of grass. Mm. But the well lies within these boundaries, down a little side street. You have to get a key before you can enter the well from either the nearby cafe or the visitor centre. And you descend the steps into a cold, damp, square space. The bottom is flooded with water. And this is the Berghead Well. Wow, it sounds very atmospheric and well-constructed. And a little creepy, if I might add. Mm, a little bit. It certainly got a slightly ghostly atmosphere. But you don't really want to spend more than about 10 minutes down there because it is just a well. <gasps> I'm sure well enthusiasts out there will be. <laughs> Rolling in their wells right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really solidly constructed and it's lasted such a long time and you have to respect that. So the Berghead Well was discovered at the start of the 1800s, right? A group of landowners bought Berghead Fishing Village and set about building a new village on the grid. To their surprise, when digging up the old village, they stumble upon an ancient well in 1809. Can you even imagine this old well just sitting under there, hidden, storing up Pictish spirits for hundreds of years, ready to release havoc upon the village when they're excavated? Well, Jenny, calm down there. No! <laughs> We certainly don't think there are any Pictish ghosts down in this well. Not anymore, they've all escaped. But there was apparently a Celtic stone found in the well, though we don't actually have the documentation of which stone this was. And we think that Berghead Well was likely a Pictish spiritual site, or some kind of site of worship, to a deity perhaps relating to water, which would have then been converted with the Picts into Christian usage. But... We don't know that much about Pictish beliefs, so it could have just been a kind of 
general healing well, the kind of Pictish hospital next to the well. <laughs> but it is an incredibly significant well, as Burghead is one of the largest Pictish forts that we know of. In fact, it used to be the biggest. But a hill fort in Aberdeenshire is now contending for this title. Typical Aberdeenshire titans swinging about with their big hill forts. But the Burghead Well is a good example of a well that represents the spiritual, holy and healing powers associated with wells. As beliefs change from Pictish faiths to Christianity, the well maintained its importance to the community. Yes, and it's this power of water as both an everyday commodity to be used for drinking and cleaning and as one of the most important aspects of spirituality, from Pictish ritual to Christian holy baptism. The well is not just a hole in the ground. It's a whole way of understanding the sanctity of water. Wow, that's such an amazing way to look at it. My favourite well is the cheese well. I don't remember asking you your well, Jenny. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> this well is down in a place called Minch Moor in Peebleshire, near the borders. It is said that a pesky fairy lives in this well, and this fairy will cause you all sorts of minor inconveniences if you pass by its well and don't leave an offering of cheese. And of course, this well tells us of the sanctity of cheese all throughout the land. Perhaps this well is just telling us about the dietary preferences of one particular pesky fairy. Mm, he's certainly lactose tolerant. <laughs> hey, Jenny. I've been noticing someone causing a certain number of nuisances around the house when she's not been getting her cheese. I'm just saying I really relate to this well. <laughs> so in this episode, we're taking a well-rounded look at some important wells, including the sprawling Cluddy Well near Inverness, and also a witchy well on Ben Arthur in Edinburgh. Well then, let's go take a sip of the waters and quench our thirst. But don't forget the sacred cheese offering, Annie. Now, while every episode of Stories of Scotland is an adventure for us, we went on a real-life adventure for this episode, didn't we, Annie? Yes, we went to the garden centre. Well, uh, yeah, technically, yes, we did. After a quick visit to the garden centre, we stocked up the car with roses and lavender and then drove just out of Inverness to visit one of the largest sacred wells in Scotland, the Clutie Well. The roses and lavender are just for a garden. They had nothing to do with the Clutie Well. It's just we're still in a semi-lockdown, <laughs> so when you make one trip with the car, you want to knock all those pigeons out with, with one piece of bread. <laughs> and yes, we went to the Clutie Well. Now in Scots, a clute is a rag or a strip of cloth. So the Clutie Well means it's a well of many cloths. Now Clutie Wells are an ancient Celtic tradition and they can be found dotted across Scotland and Ireland and other parts of the UK. Now there's quite a strong likelihood that this tradition of Clutie tyings for health are coming from the traditions of traveller communities and culture. And the particular well we visited is actually very close to some traveller paths, so this would make sense. And it's tucked away in a lovely, dreamy forest, just off the side of a road on the Black Isle. Ah, the Black Isle. It isn't actually an island, but it does have the Murray and Bewley Firth to the south, the Cromarty Firth to the north, and the North Sea to the east. 
So they've got three out of four sides covered and that's pretty islandy. It is, of course, the Munlochy Clutie Well. And as this isn't too far from us in Inverness, we drove out to this well and, well... So I am just walking up to the Clutie Well now. You kind of park in the car park and walk for maybe 30 seconds into the wood before you start seeing the first rags tied to the branches of trees and you soon round the corner and climb some stairs on a well-kept path and soon you're on the side of a hill when just every branch available is covered in rags all the way along till they're drooping down in this sort of weird weary way. Some of the rags are brand new, some of them are really old and grey. You come down after a second and then you see the well which is a strange little hole coming out from under the trees you can't see its source it's dark in there there's a good amount of water flowing through looking at some of the rags i see a a lot of socks some straight up rags ribbons towels a pair of pajama bottoms shoes slung over high branches there's clothes with badges on them Hoodies, lots of hoodies tied around. Zippers zipped up round the trunks of the tree like they're being worn. There's beads, a Barbie's dress, Scottish flag boxers, a towel, high-vis vest. Uh, this one's got a t-shirt nailed to the tree, sort of spread out full. And it reads, in memory of Dad and Auntie Jane, always in our thoughts, lots of love, Caden, CJ and family. Kiss, kiss, kiss. A lot of baseball caps as well. It's like people have just taken them off their heads and thrown them up in the hopes that they'll catch somewhere. I'm here with my girlfriend, Pauline. Sitting here, taking it all in. How do you feel about the Clutty Well? Where does it bring you to? I just imagine all the different people coming here and leaving an offering, leaving something that means something to them, either to remember someone or to wish someone luck for something. I feel like it's it's a place of positive memories. A lot of hope. A lot of Definitely. Hope. I think yeah. every rag was tied with someone in mind. Yeah. Be it the person who tied it or someone they love. There are thousands of rags here and everyone holds a wish and a hope. Everyone's been tied at a different time, but they're all here together now. And you can see the the different fading levels of how long they've been here. Some of these things must be 30, 40 years old. And some of them were tied yesterday. Annie, as we stand here and look around at all the rags, what does it make you think of? It reminds me of the kind of shared spaces you get that everyone has to go to at some point, perhaps a hospital, a museum, mm. a graveyard. The atmosphere feels uncanny and slightly eerie as there are some rags and garments that are in quite a state of decay. But it's also strangely comforting as a site of memorial, strangely warming to see all of the, the care that has been tied. These rags have been tied with purpose and with love and you can tell some people just expressing how much they enjoy Scotland on their holidays. Some people, I think, remembering deceased loved ones and the majority of people tying with the hope of someone's health. 
So Jenny, can you tell me more about these rags and boxes and t-shirts on the tree? Why are they tied all around the Clutie Well? So to understand this properly, we need to go back to when this was less of a tourist attraction and more of a revered place. Let's say it's 1764. At this point, the nearby town of Munlochy is just a small settlement for families who quarried stone for the building of Fort George across the Murray Firth. This would have been hard, hard work. And I'm going to hedge a bit and say that there were a fair few folk in the town with awfully bad backs. Yes, I guess that an 18th century stone quarry can't have had the best health and safety guidelines and standards. Ah, but who needs health and safety standards when you have a magic healing well just down the road? See, at this point in time, the people of the Black Isle would have had very limited health care. And so if a family member was suffering from a horribly put out back and say it stopped them from being able to work, meaning that less money was coming in, and then imagine sleeping next to them as well, thrashing throughout the night, woken by pain with every movement, it would have been a nightmare. And so in a bid to help your loved one and also help yourself get a better night's sleep, a trip to the Clutie Well was in order. You would take an old rag from the old rag drawer, which I just assume every house has, and make your way out of town to the natural spring that bubbles up from under one of the wise old trees. Here, you would crouch down near the water and dip the rag in, soaking it thoroughly in the cool stream, all the while thinking of your ill relative. You'd then stand up and look around, and find a spot on the tree above the well which reminded you most of your kin. That knobbly branch over there looks just like their knees in the winter. And then you'd tie the wet rag around the knobbly branch while saying a prayer to St Curitan, asking him to relieve your loved one of their ailment and aid in their speedy recovery. It was believed that as the rag rotted away, so your loved one would heal. The bad back would become a memory, cured by the powers of the clutie well. Ah, okay. This is a really interesting mix of the established Christianity in Scotland that would have been there at the time and then ancient folk beliefs. So we know that the Clutie Well customs are pre-Christianity in Scotland. So perhaps over a millennia and a half ago, a rag would be tied to the tree with a wish to a water spirit or a healing deity that would have been prayed to. We really don't know that much about faith and beliefs in pre-Christian Scotland, but the tradition of the Clutie Well certainly lived through the Dark Ages, where people would, instead of going to their old gods, ask the new saints to heal their loved ones instead. Yes, and St Curitan is specific to the Munlochy Well. Other wells would have had other saints to ask. St Curitan, who was also known as Boniface, was a bishop from the early 700s, whose diocese was the Black Isle. He would have been the one who first popularised Christianity among the people of the area. And so it is he who is prayed to, even over a thousand years later in the 1700s. To be a saint of healing for over a thousand years is a really wonderful legacy. It really is. But this particular holy well was best known for its powers to cure ill children. It was believed that if the sick child was left there overnight, then in the morning it would be healed. It would just have to avoid the hypothermia and the wolves. No no biggie. Of course, Jenny. 
the old dodge the wolf, dodge the death trick. As if I'm trying to be a professional historian here. Works every time. <laughs> now, while we had a lovely time at the Clitty Well, there are some people on TripAdvisor who were not quite so impressed. Mm. So, Jenny, I've got a bit of an unusual modern passage for you to read out this week. So I need you to put on your best 3-2-1 Skelly accent. 3-2-1 Skelly. One star. Hideous. Read about this in a guidebook and thought, oh, might be interesting to see how wrong we were. After a downpour the day before, the whole place stank of rotting clothes. It really is a disgusting mess. It looks more like the day after Glastonbury is finished. Also, as modern fabrics don't easily decay, that mess will be there forever. Definitely one to miss. Wow, three, two, one, Skelly, you were not impressed Mm-mm. with the Cody Well. And unfortunately, neither was Claire M. Claire M, one star. Explosion at a landfill site? We are quite open to spiritual, magical places, so we are quite looking forward to seeing this. However, we never even made it to the well because the rubbish hanging from every tree and branch on the way up put us right off. Scraps of poly bags, socks, tights, underpants. Did some visitors think, oh, I haven't got anything to hang and whip off his underpants? There were teddy bears, old trainers, and even a high-vis waistcoat. Natural fibre cloths, they weren't. It was an eyesore and resembled a windy day at a landfill site. In fact, it looked like a health hazard rather than a place of healing. I pity the people who live close to this rubbish dump. I would be embarrassed to be advertising this place as a tourist attraction. Wow, Claire M coming out swinging with that review. I think she's missing the point when she says advertising this place as a tourist attraction because though tourists can visit the well, it's not advertised as a tourist attraction. It's it's advertised as, as a kind of traditional place of healing and and this kind of folk belief. Maybe if she'd tied something on, it would have taken away a bit of that anger inside of her. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that their contrast and opinions of the Clitty Well are actually quite important for us to note. The site is a mix of beauty, chaos and rotting clothes. There are an overwhelming number of rags hanging from every reachable branch and some very unreachable branches. It was impressive how they got up there. Yes. Like, did people bring ladders? A cherry picker? (laughs) (laughs) Some are old, some are quite new. However, there's something quite awe-inspiring about this crowdsourced monument and the sheer number of people who would have travelled to the Clutie Well with a loved one in mind and have taken the time to dip a rag or a sock or a teddy bear into the water and tie it to a tree. A sight of such empathy and human caring carries a real tangible meaning and it can definitely be felt when standing there surrounded by all these scraps of love tied to the trees. Plus, last year, the Forestry Commission, who take care of this site and the surrounding forest, collaborated with a group of locals and had a really good tidy up of the well. And this is after these reviews were left. 
They were very respectful and left anything that was biodegradable. However, they removed lots of rubbish, general clutter and non-biodegradable stuff. They even removed a Venetian blind which was hanging from a branch. So the site is much cleaner now, while also still holding the same wonderful significance to all who visit. And we recommend that you do. It's just a quick dodge off the A9 and well worth it. But if you do visit, then please only tie something that is natural cotton or wool. If it can't biodegrade, then your healing wish will never come true. Biodegradable healing is the way forward for us all. So, as with any sites of semi-magical interest, we've been able to find plenty of stories showing the connection between witchcraft and wells in Scotland. However, my favourite story comes from one of the earliest witch trials in Scotland, that of Janet Boyman, also sometimes called Janet Bowman. Ah, Janet, Janet, potato, potato. If you're an early modern scholar, you are so interchangeable with your Jonnets <laughs> and your Janets. Anyway, I first found her trial in the Scottish Survey of Witchcraft, and then I found a detailed analysis of her case by the brilliant historian Lizanne Henderson. Jonnet Boyman was a healer who likely lived in Cowgate, Edinburgh or Ayrshire. Now, we think it's more likely Edinburgh, as that's where her elvish well was. I think in the case report it actually says it was an eldritch well, Jenny, meaning it was a spooky well. Well, it looks more like elvish to me, and this makes sense, as she was charged with sorcery, witchcraft, and consorting with... Fairies. Yes, this is why I found her case so interesting, because she was accused of playing with fairies. So what are the witchcraft allegations against her? Hopscotch with Tinkerbell? Almost. She's accused of being a folk healer and being a bit too mystic. Mm. Proceedings were launched against Jonnet in 1570. So Jenny, here's a summary of some of her alleged crimes. Jonnet Boyman is a wise woman that could mend diverse sickness and bairns that are taken away with the fairy men and women. So she was healing changelings, like children that are stolen by fairies? That doesn't sound bad. That sounds like a good guy. Yes. But, alas, she made contact with fairies and used spirits for her power. So, to a superstitious population, this is terrifying. Okay, because it goes on. Jonnet used an elvish well on the south side of Arthur's seat in Edinburgh as a portal to speak to the fairies of the mythological world. Here, she would utter incantations, invocations and spells using the phrase, In the name of the Father, the Son, King Arthur, and Queen Elspeth. Upon saying these magical words to the flowing spring coming forth from the well, the water would take the message down to the worlds of the supernatural creatures. They communicated back to her, first as a whirlwind summoned by the power of her magic. Then this would settle and the spirit of a human could be seen on the other side of the well. For this water represented a split between the worlds, and Jonnet was accused of going between them to gain knowledge of the fairies. In her witchcraft trial, it was said that she spoke to the spirit which she enchanted out of the well, and asked it how to cure her patient, 
Alan Anderson, for he was very sick and feared for his life. Later in the trial, Jonnet was accused of boasting about taking a shirt off her patients and dipping it in the well in order to diagnose his ailment. So we'll assume that she nabbed Alan's Sunday best shirt and gave it to the water spirit to try on. Now, the fashion-forward spirit liked the shirt and suited the cut, and so he gave Jonnet a diagnosis and even a cure. She came away from this with a cure for Alan, which mainly involved washing the shirt in the very precise, correct way. Janet told Alan's wife how to do it just right, to wash and cleanse the disease from Alan. However, that same evening, at the strike of midnight, Alan Anderson's house was awoken by the whirlwind of the well. A herd of ghost horses galloped around their house, terrifying Alan and his wife. Now that is a nightmare. Or many nightmares. (laughs) Nay! Yes, Annie, it was. And don't make a joke out of this, it was very serious. (laughs) Naturally, they were traumatised and scared. And they begged Jonnet the next day to help them and undo her summoning of the spirits. But Jonnet explained quite frankly that the only way forward was to wash the shirt the right way with the precise instructions that she had given them the previous day or else the shirt would not be cleaned properly and thus Alan would not be cleansed of his disease properly. Otherwise, he would be a cripple all his days. So again, they washed the shirt taking immense care to follow the instructions properly. But again, once they were asleep this second night, they were tormented by these ghosts. However, this time, the ghosts took Alan's disease with them, whisked up in their whirlwind back to the well and into their world. And Alan was cured and alive and healthy. Excellent witchcraft all round. Talk about a well-being retreat. Well... We bring the well and well-being to you in the middle of the night in the form of a terrifying ghost stampede. Get rid of your ailment or get your shirt back. (laughs) Although, unfortunately, three years later, Alan gets ill again and his wife goes back to Jonnet asking for a cure. However, Jonnet refuses as it is just after Halloween and so at this time of year, she does not have the same contact with the fairies. And thus... Alan died, and his wife ended up remarrying. But it seems like Jonnet did try her best. Yes, and I find Jonnet a really interesting case for discussing wells, because there's a lot of the themes we've seen, with wells being a crossover point. On one side of the axis, we have Christian beliefs and holy water as the way to connect to your faith. And on the other side, we have unruly mysticism and superstition. And even the summoning that Jonnet makes, the father, the son, King Arthur and Queen Elspeth, it is half the blessing of the Holy Trinity, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit, and half a reference to Arthurian legends of King Arthur. I mean, she's asking for power from a legend which holds the magic that she is alleged to be using it's an absolutely fascinating case and even in the trial one of Jonnet's prayers is blessed benedict 
So she's clearly heavily influenced by the church to the point that it's penetrating her folk healing. And the trial also shows another blurring of her Christian faith and fairy superstition. That she prayed and washed her hands at the holy well at St. Leonard's. There came to her a fairy man who was attractive and beautiful with a lovely full fairy beard. But as he turned around, he suddenly appeared as though he was just a stick. But to be fair, this does just sound like another hipster who is 98% beard, Annie. (laughs) Well, Donnet is using wells for diagnosing and curing her patients and for communicating with fairies. Unfortunately for Donnet, though, she also predicted deaths, including that of a baby Mm. and that of a regent. So this makes her abilities seem more morbid and threatening to the people of her area. However, she's strangely frank, almost comforting in the way that she predicts deaths, as though the dying people are almost going away with the fairies. And she certainly isn't wishing death upon them. It's more just a premonition. Well, unfortunately for Jonet, whether she believed in the Christian heaven and hell or another world on the other side of the well... She was heading towards one of them. Her trial sentenced her to guilty of being a witch and sorcerer, and she was executed on the 29th of December, 1572. Uh, Do we know how she was executed? Well, one historian references a burning. However, the main witch database doesn't tell us how Jonet was executed, only that she was definitely executed. Mm. So we can't go to the archives because of lockdown. So I would say on the weight of things that poor Jonet was probably burnt just for healing people. Witch trials make me so angry. Jonet Boyman didn't even do anything bad or illegal other than ask the fairies for advice with the laundry. And only the elves know how to properly get stains out of delicate fabrics and thus the nice smell of fresh cut flowers. But that's why we have a Tinker Bell and not a Stinker Bell, Annie. Well, yes, Jonet Boyman got a really dreadful and unjust verdict for her trial. To me, Jonet seems like a bit of an eccentric woman who perhaps at worst talked about fairies and elves in a storytelling way to help explain the more mystic aspects of her folk remedies. And she was executed by this country for speaking in this manner, for speaking about legends and saying that they may have helped her with her healing. She might not even have done this. Like all the witch trials we've spoken about throughout our podcast, it's just incredibly heartbreaking that so many people died because of these superstitions. Well, I for one hope that Jonet Boyman is partying with weirdly bearded, well-dressed elves on the other side of the well. We are supported in making Stories of Scotland by our marvellous patrons. So thank you all so much. It means we can share these strange Scottish stories with the world. This week, our new patrons are... Mike and Megan in Austin, Texas. Ooh, we've also got Madison. Dave. And Christopher, all joining our wee Patreon kinship. So thank you so much. For you, we've got this lovely poem called Meet Me at the Fairy Well. Now, I find it published in the Arbroath Guide in 1851, and it's a really gorgeous wee love poem. 
written by a mysterious CMH. That's right, Jenny. We only have initials. Call me Harry. That's definitely not what the initials stand for. <laughs> because so many of you beautiful people have asked how Kyle is doing during his chemo, we've asked him to come on and give this poem a read. He's doing really well. Yes, he is. Let's get Kyle in. Hello, Stories of Scotland listeners. Long time no speak. Um, my name's Kyle Walker. Before I start reading this poem, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's been sending in such lovely messages and kind thoughts. It's been very, very, very much appreciated. Um, things have been going very well. Um, I'm still alive, which I'm considering to be quite a positive thing. So to celebrate this wonderful occasion, I thought that I would come along and read a wee poem for you all. So this is a poem called Meet Me at the Fairy Well, and I hope you all enjoy it. When soul has sunk in the glowing west, and Luna shows her silver vest, when like a bird in its nest, meet me at the fairy well down in the grove, and there I will tell thee a tale of love. When home the merry reaper hies to his cot in the mountain side that lies, and the owl from yonder ivy ruin cries, haste to the fairy well down in the grove, and there I will tell thee a tale of love. When pale eyes stars from heaven are peeping, over earth their silent vigil keeping, when on the loch the moon is sleeping, steal to the fairy well in the shady grove, and there I will tell thee a tale of love. At the fairy well where the round tree grows, where come to drink the fawns and rose, meet me, dear maid, at evening's close, by the fairy spring down in the grove, and there I will sing thee a song of love. Thank you so much, Kyle. I absolutely love a love poem. <laughs> with Wells, we see bonds with the landscape and the environment, which have moved past the natural world and developed into some kind of symbol of the universe of legends and mythologies too. Each natural well has its own supernatural connotation. There is something powerful about these springs of life-giving water that means that even in our ultra-rational world nowadays, they're still thriving. Just look at the Clutty Well. It's huge and clearly holds so much significance to the thousands of people who visit every year and tie a rag or pair of pyjama bottoms to a tree. And our continued connection with these natural features in our environment is just the newest link in a centuries-old chain of communication with nature. I agree. I think even if you don't believe in the fairies of the well, even if you don't believe in the holy power of the well, there's still such a, a beautiful kind of conversation that you can have with yourself in that calm, peaceful place, just listening to water and letting that sound kind of connect with you. And on that note, thank you all so much for listening to Stories of Scotland. We absolutely love making this little podcast and sharing it with the world. If you'd like to become a patron and support us as we make this strange little show, then you can go to patreon.com slash stories of Scotland, where you can get access to lots of more fun little bits and bobs that we make along the way. And I'll be posting lots of pictures of our trip to the Clutie Well on our Instagram as well as our Facebook and Twitter. So visit us on any of these to see this magical well. And while you're there, why not also give us a like, follow and share, and a wee review as well. But please, please, 
give us a kinder review than Claire <laughs> from TripAdvisor and her opinions on the Clutie Well. Yeah, we don't want that Claire M energy in our review section. <laughs> Positive Claire's only. <laughs> Slangeva. Slangeva.